You are listening to Intersections with Phil Allen Jr., engaging the issues that matter at the intersection of race, culture, and theology. Welcome to Intersections with Phil Allen Jr. I kick off Black History Month excited because I'm closer and closer to the release of my book, Open Wounds, which you can find on Amazon for pre-order right now. This story is not just my family's history, but it's indicative of black history. Many African-American families, unfortunately, share the same story as my family. The book is being released on February 9th, and I can't wait for you to read it and engage the conversation. But I'm also excited because I get to start Black History Month off with an amazing guest. My guest, September Penn, is a singer-songwriter and theater performance artist. She co-founded The Power of Song Incorporated with her husband in 2015. She's traveled across the United States and in the world, speaking and performing with some of the most notable artists and organizations, including the National Theater Company of China in Beijing, as a singer and co-music director. She's written her own production, Sounds of the Civil Rights Movement, The Power of Song. She graduated recently from Fuller Theological Seminary, June 2020, with a Master of Divinity with a focus on worship, theology, and the arts. And while at Fuller, September served as chapel assistant and Fujimura fellow. She's the music director at Emmanuel Presbyterian Church in the Koreatown area of, Lo of Los Angeles. She's the wife of an awesome guy, Ivan Penn, and she's the mother of Ivy, Isaiah, and Emmanuel Penn, the role she says she loves best. But before we delve into the conversation, I want you to hear the trailer to my documentary short film, Open Wounds, where you will hear September's voice. Now, if you've seen the film, you've heard the opening scene and you've heard that voice, the moans of a mother or a gospel singer, and she sets the tone for the whole film. So listen to my friend September and then listen to the conversation. came back in the afternoon, they said that he was missing, that he fell off the boat and they didn't know what happened to him. And the people that he was seen with last said that they had gone hunting and that Nate fell overboard and drowned, fell off the boat and drowned. Young lady said she saw him struggling with two guys. And she said she saw the whole thing as he was struggling. And they got on the island that he was wrestling with the guys and he overcame them and threw them in there, threw them, you know, threw them down and started running toward the water. He was in the water, but we found a small caliber hole in him. And they had to be quiet. That's what he said. We have to be quiet. At that time, the white man said, you fell overboard, you fell overboard. And, and, and that was about it. We are living with structures that we didn't create, that somebody else created, and we're living with the aftermath of it. And so we're talking about your grandpa, Nate, today, and, and the horror and tragedy that happened to him. But I think it was that painful. It was that deep. Um, not, not the fact that he died, just that he died, but how he died. September, that was powerful. 
that was powerful. Mm. Um, I don't even know what, whether to call it a song or <laughs> a melody, um, but it, it set the tone for the whole film. And sometimes I go back and watch just the beginning of the film, the intro, just to listen yeah. to that. Yeah. Um, oh, bless your heart. I, bless your heart, man. And I get goosebumps every time I listen to it. Um, it really does. It really did take the film to a whole other level. Um, I, um, I always wondered what was going through your mind that day we, we set up in the classroom and, <laughs> and you, you said, let me listen to it real quick, real quick. You watched, um, I think the trailer and then you went in and I, on the first take, I was like, done, we're done. And you were like, no, 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 no wait a minute, wait a minute, let's do that again. I'm like, okay. And I could listen to just that for a long time. But what was going through your mind, whether it was that song, I mean, that that intro or a song that you're writing or you're doing, what what's going through your mind what, to, for you to get there to that space? Um, I, I don't even know if I would categorize it as a song. Um, it's, it's more so it's, it's, it's a, it's a moan, it's a groan. It has some tonality to it, but it is definitely more of a moaning and groaning. And when I came to that space, I knew a little bit of the story that you wanted to tell. Um, it was not anything new to me. Um, black women, no tragedy, black women have carried tragedy. And knowing what you as a black man had, had been carrying all these years and you're finally at, at this place where you're ready to tell your story, your family story, um, I kind of leaned into that. The, it, the, the whole aspect of black people carrying pain and even black people carrying our secrets, black people carrying the grief um, that we inherited from um, our ancestors our parents, our parents' parents. Some of it is hearing the stories, knowing the stories. And I think uh, a part of the groan that comes has to do with all of the question marks that are always still there. So when I'm singing, that's what I'm tapping into. I'm tapping into that ambiguous zone of, yes, I know what some of this pain is, but what is this other thing? So, um, yeah, it's an unfinished song, but it's something that always has to come out in one form or the other. You basically just provided a space for me to let that out. And I, I thank God that it speaks to other situations that others have heard it and something about it resonated with them and their story because none of this stuff is new. You know, none of it is new. You, you just rocked my world just now with that. Okay. You just said something. <laughs> you said you tapped into the unanswered question, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. That's Yet, right. this is not new. Because it's not new, you would think we have the answers. We know what happened, what's going to happen, what's, what the journey's going to look like. But there's the uncertainty. Like, that is yes. like, ooh, that's like daily daily what it that feels is, like yes that is our existence the black race we have become comfortable with the uncertainty and we have learned to thrive in uncertainty some of that thriving 
has bubbled up in our songs and our moans and our groans. It has bubbled up in our hip hop. It's bubbled up, but it's all a part of us dealing with the uncertainty of, of our existence. I, I was, I was just going to go there. Like that uncertainty, could it be both good and bad? It is good and bad. It is good and bad. Um, the good part is, you know, if we are spiritual people, and many Black people are, you know, we, we, we realize that um, if there's going to be an answer, if there's going to be a comfort, it's not going to come from ourselves. And because um, we are spiritual people, we tap into the otherness, you know, we tap into our faith, we tap into the higher power, God, we tap into the otherness and we that faith ends up rising and meeting us and keeping us yeah. you know I, I think of the improvisational nature of being black from music <laughs> to sports to style dress poetry all the things and I never I've never connected that to the unanswered question the daily the existential reality of the unanswered question. And that is, is catalytic to our creativity and improvisation. It sure is. You, you, it's sure. Uh, that, you need to write a paper on that and have it published. <laughs> if you ain't going to write it, if, if you that. ain't going to write it, I'm going to write it. And then we're going to have, we're going to do it together or something. That is, <laughs> okay. I like that. I like that. Um, so when you, when you talk about, it being a moan or a groan, because I hesitated on calling it that, even though I know that's what we were going for. I, I hesitated to call it that because I feel like it's it's it was more, but maybe that's the appropriate term for it. That's what it is. And it seems like it's appropriate for today. Yeah. The groan. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, how have you been taking care of you in the last 12 mm-hmm. months, especially the last month, how have you been taking care of you um, going through all that we've, we've had to deal with? Um, I'm going to get very, very practical. This is yeah. um, just very tangible, very practical. I've, as much as I can, I've been doing yoga. Mm. I've been getting on my mat and I've been breathing. Um, I do it alone. And then I get together weekly. There's about four, four other women that I get together weekly with every Thursday night. And um, we breathe together, we stretch together and we, we share prayer requests with each other, we talk. So that time, I guess it, 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 it ended up being a bit of a small group gathering, you know, cause we're all Christian women. But um, when it first started, we were, we were just gathering to do yoga. And then, you know, the pandemic was long. And one of those, one of the women who I gather with she has a, um, her, her immune system is compromised. So she literally was spending, I remember the day she had her 222nd day alone. Yes, completely alone what? because her immune system, doctors said she could not, you know, she couldn't risk it. Um, any any vi- visits that she was doing, they were like outside on the sidewalk, eight feet apart. She literally was just being, so we all just looked forward to every Thursday. Okay, we're going to see each other's faces and we, we were getting each other through. So it's super practical, but that has been part of my sustaining, you know, sustaining power to get me through. Oh, I'm going to do yoga yoga with these women and we're going to share with each other. 
And then, you know, I, I, I run some, I power walk a lot. And for me, they're, they're long meditative walks. And, you know, even before COVID, I would wear my hat and I wear my sunglasses and I'm out there walking and I'm talking to the Lord, I'm praying, I'm complaining sometimes, but you got your sunglasses on so nobody can see you crying, you know? So it's even better now and you got your mask on, everything's covered up, any kind of <laughs> complaints I got with God, people don't see me fussing and, you know, complaining and crying because it's all covered up. But all of that has, has been, um, you know, keeping and healing and just helping me to maintain, to say, to stay sane in the midst of all of this. Yeah. You, 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 you said something that I want to go back to, you say you start off with is, is very practical. And, and when oh, I say, when I, indeed. when I hear practical, I hear strategic, planned, simple, mm -hmm. easy, mm -hmm. not a yes. surprise. Right. Yes. And I think it's important for people who are listening to understand the practical is needed, particularly if you're a marginalized, oppressed group, um, and I use that word very carefully um, and intentionally, black. Yes. It's, it's important that we understand the practical and the simple to offset the fact mm -hmm. that we live improvisational. <laughs> exactly. It, it's yeah. to balance that. Mm -hmm. And then you, you, you know, you talk about yoga and, and, and running. Um, and I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's uh, interesting because I became a runner. Yes. Probably around the same time you started running. I started running. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. I just started I thought, running. I you had a few years ahead of me. Well, I started <laughs> running a year and a half ago. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That ain't long. You know, I hated it up until a year and a half ago. But no, I know. Me too. But something you said. And, and I, I wanted to see if, if this resonates with you. It's the running, the yoga, taking, it's bringing the certainty of your body. Yes. Or using uh, having the certainty of your body as a response to the uncertainty of the day to day. Like That's it's right. tangible. It's concrete. I can feel it, this. I can control predictable. predictable. I can control the it's movement. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. And this is yes. why I push for people to understand wellness as a part of activism. It is. As I've yes, come, is. as I'm coming, not that I've known this for a very long time, but I'm coming to understand wellness is a form of activism. I, I had one yes, professor, um, Dr. Dawn X. Han um, um, Henderson, said um, breathing is a form of activism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that we've, we were never taught as black people how to breathe. That's right. That's right. And that's why I said sometimes when we do yoga, we are literally just sitting there breathing together. We are on our mats, breathing together. We are hearing each other's breath, our inhale and our exhale. We, we might do that 15 minutes before we go into a pose. Mm. But it's the settling in of our own bodies and feeling each other as women, as, as you know, as, as co-laborers in this. We are breathing together and, he and helping each other heal. Yeah. And I think that's important. You you are, black women especially, have been, for lack of a better term, midwives for our community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you ain't breathing, ain't none of us breathing. <laughs> that's exactly right. right. That's exactly, yes, sir. That's right. That's if, right. if mama can't breathe, ain't nobody breathing. 
Mm-mm. We got to make sure mama's breathing because she takes yes. care of us. Yes, that's right. That's exactly right. Given all that is going on right now, um, both the obvious and the hidden insidious ways that race is at play. Yeah. How important is a collective reflection on MLK and Black History Month? How important is, is this for the whole country, not just for black folks? Yeah, yeah. I, I believe a collective reflection on MLK, MLK and his work, it, it's always needed, not just around the holiday, but it, it shouldn't be, you know, a special time of year. Now let's pull out all the MLK quotes. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it, it, it really should be um, a part of, you know, regular curriculum and, you know, not just MLK, but all of those who worked with him including, you know, the Ella Bakers, yep. um, all of those, uh, Diane Nash, all of those who walked along w- with him in, in this movement. Um, because their work is undone. His work is undone. Their work is undone. He was cut off before his work was done. So we need to be understanding what was it I mean, completely what he was trying to do, what, 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 what was going on, what was the method that he was using, that they were using. Um, but like I said, not just, not just the quotes, you know, people pull out all these quotes, but not just remembering, you know, all the, the sanitized down version of the quotes, but honestly remembering him completely rightly um, to celebrate. It's easy for some folks to celebrate the fact that, you know, he took a nonviolent stance and, oh yeah, Dr. King, we loved him. He was nonviolent, but he was also, you know, he was a demanding person. He did not shrink back. He was not passive. Um, Being peaceful doesn't mean that you're being passive. And I, I think we need to know more of his work. I mean, when you look at, you know, the quotes that people don't often say, like, um, we know through painful experience that freedom is never voluntary, given voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a Dr. King quote. Yeah. That's not, you know, that's not a passive person there. That's someone who's standing and demanding mm-hmm. that which is right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to honor him would be to remember all of him, would be to remember his, his complaint while he was in the Birmingham jail, would be to remember um, him even, even telling us um, that he didn't think he had been to the mountaintop, but that he knew he wasn't going to go over. He, he himself knew about his own death. And I think in fully honoring him, we can't just you know, pacify it and, and, and sing our, our, our songs and, and just not fully try to live out what he started. Um, certainly the mantles have been passed. Many people have picked them up. I celebrate with, with Black Lives Matter. Even most recently, um, they were nominated for uh, the Nobel Peace Prize. And when I look at that, I'm like, well, praise God. Someone has seen the, the significant work that they're doing, not just here in the United States, but around the whole world. Um, people are, are, are you know, leaning into into his work, in, into the work of, of our ancestors, of our forefathers, and, and, tr- and certainly trying to continue it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, a, that's a great, you, you make a great point about his work being undone. And I think yeah. it's, yes. it's important that we understand, you know, because when people pull the quotes out, they pull the quotes out as if it's all about the dream. 
Exactly. And because there's exactly. diversity, the work is done. Exactly. The dream no. has been fulfilled. No. Um, you know, in the, in the early um, 2000s, uh, I started working with Dr. Claiborne Carson out of Stanford um, on a production that he wrote out of um, studying all of Dr. King's papers. Actually, um, Coretta Scott King had commissioned him to edit all of Dr. King's papers. So he, he had written a play based on that work and um, I was invited to join the cast. When I'm working with this cast, and there, you know, there are some people who are my age, a little bit younger, and folks that were a little bit older. I remember, this is in the early 2000s, I remember one of the castmates said, because um, we were going through the music, and, and she said, well, why are we still singing We Shall Overcome? Why are we still singing We Shall Overcome? We've overcame. We need to stop singing that song. And when she said that, and she, she, was, she was my elder, she was, you know, she was, had a good 15, uh, maybe 20 years on me. And for me to hear this woman say this, I thought, oh my God, but, but she was a part of the generation that stopped talking. Cause you know that, right? Yeah. Uh, after they came through the, the late seventies into the eighties and people started getting comfortable. Like you said, there was some diversity and affirmative action was in effect. And you know, some people started getting nice jobs, living in nice neighborhoods. They wanted to protect their children from the pain that they suffered. And their grandparents suffered, so they stopped talking about it. Yeah. Okay, we're good. We over we overcame, y'all. But huge parts of society, huge sex, sectors of society, they were still struggling. They were still uh, living in you know conditions that were just unseemly. Yeah. They were still not getting any portion of the the quote unquote American dream. But when you look at other African Americans saying, "Okay, we've overcome and we're good now," you got 20, 30 years. Well, People were not fighting. So then you get these, God bless them, the dynamic millennials rising up. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> so you get this whole new group of people. Uh, that, that's why you have, you know, the whole Black Lives Matter movement. And I, I commend them. I commend them for not um, for not just taking, you know, the, the soft, easy answer and, and for not just riding with what they saw their parents doing. You know, we're just trying to get over. You're in school now. Get, get your education and, and take care of your family. Too many people were doing that and too many folks were being left behind. Yeah. You know, my, my parents' generation was that, that was their generation you're talking about, you're describing. I know. And they were silent. Yeah. Yes. Our generation, we were busy trying to go to school, get a good job, get degrees and make it. Because that's what they told us. That's to what do. they told us to do. That's what they told us to do. And I was I was blown away when I was a part of a, a, a protest out in um, Santa Clarita that mm -hmm. was put on by those millennials. Okay, that's right. And I wasn't yeah. sure if I was gonna go because of COVID and everything. Um, yeah. And I said, no, I need them to know that I see and support them and I'm with them and I stand yes. with them. Yes. Because it, it would be heartbreaking if it were no, no one from my generation or older out there walking with those young folks, mm -hmm. right? Um, so you're, you're dead on. You're dead exactly. on. There's a generation yeah. that stopped talking. And then there's a generation that we re reoriented the focus towards um, making it. Thriving, yeah. progressing. And, and it's, 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 it's like, it's shocking. I remember when I was just, I was hit with that reality. And at that point, I'm in my early to mid 30s. You know, I've, I've graduated college. I've 
I, I, I've, I've done work in the industry. I'm married, I'm raising up my kids and we're doing work in the church and everything. But at that point, um, I'm at Stanford and Dr. Carson is uh, sharing, you know, some of the freedom songs with me and, and, and I sing them back to him. And this is, for me, this was the wake up moment. When he heard me sing it, he said, September, you sound like you've known some pain in your life. You actually sing the song with a little bit of passion. He said, I, I teach these songs to the kids here at Stanford. He said, they sing it like it's a pop song. <laughs> you know? yep. They sing it like it has no energy. There's no passion. You can't hear any pain or angst or anything. And I said, well, you know, I'm, I was born early 70s. I grew up in uh, Southern Virginia. Uh, the church I went to, many of those folks marched with Dr. King. And like in the Sunday schools, they would, they would throw those stories in our Sunday school classes. So I heard that stuff. So part of it was just in me because of you know proximity because of who I was exposed to yeah. but not everybody you know so many folks so, so many folks stopped talking about it they just stopped hearing those stories yeah pain the pain you sing it as if you've had some pain and and that's yeah can describe our community historically how have we been able to navigate the pain and i want to i want to really centralize the black church and then get into gospel music. Okay. But yes. You know, not many people, I don't think many people outside the black community understand the significance of the black church in our history to our surviving and thriving. Going all the way back yes. to the invisible church that the enslaved Africans had before they were 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 emancipated. It was yes. the church. It was that faith that you mentioned earlier that has been foundational, mm -hmm. even though many are kind of deviating away from that today, this generation, that's yeah. kind of all over the place though, no matter what race you're talking about. What are your thoughts on the role of the black church um, then and today? Maybe kind of compare the black church throughout history and, and where you see us today um, and how has it shaped your life and your family's life? Um, before I, I guess, come directly to me. I want to. I want to go back to what you were touching on. Um, uh, those the invisible church. Those the black churches back. You know, even um, during the slave times. Um, I remember reading about the the the, the hush circles that, that they would huddle in because if they had church, but uh, they were always still being watched. You know, the mat the massa or uh, the cracker, the guy with, with the whip, there was always someone watching them. But there were other times when the black folks would literally, you know, steal away. That's why you get the song, steal away. And they would steal away to someplace in, you know, in a, in a harbor or, or, or a, a brush in the woods, someplace deep, deep, so no one could hear them. And they would have their own church service. Yeah. And, you know, they would go and they would sing together and they would comfort each other and they would build each other up. They might be out there for hours singing and moaning and someone's lifting up a prayer. But that type of, of, of richness, that type of activity was, was meat to them. It was sustenance. It was actually what gave them the strength they needed because they were going to get up in just a couple of hours and go out into the fields. But what happened in their bodies, their physical beings, um, spiritually, they were being fed, and even their, their physical beings were being fed because of the frequencies and the vibrations that they were 
sharing amongst each other. That's a whole nother road that I'm not going to go down. <laughs> but <laughs> if the Lord calls me to study any further, that's what I want to study. Yeah. I want to study what happened with our people and the moans and the, 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 the tonalities that would come in their, out of their mouths together. I, I believe, and I've, I've done some research on it, but there's a, there's a physical healing thing that takes place. Yep. Um, research says that um, intention plus vibration equals healing. So whether you know this or not, the fact is intention, what you set your mind, it could be your prayer thought, mm -hmm. your, 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 your complaint before the Lord, whatever it is, intention plus vibration, it equals healing. Mm. I think every time our, our people got together and moaned and sang and hummed, I think a little by little, they were healing each other. Absolutely. Just a little bit to keep, to go a little bit further. Um, so that's that. I, I wanted to touch on that first. No, but I'm glad when you I did. go back and I think of, when I think of, uh, do you want to unpack that a little bit? I, I well, see a look on your well, uh, question on your face. Because it, 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 <laughs> it, it, it explains something. As I was preparing for this, this conversation, I was thinking about mm -hmm. my experience growing up in a black church. And later on, having worked in a predominantly white church and preaching in yes. that context. And I remember saying, I need to go home. Yes. So I would go to Faithful Central. Okay. And I would just sit. And what you're talking about, mm -hmm. it, I, I, or, or I could sit here and literally go back to when I grew up. You know, we could, I, I can critique preaching, you know, after you go to school, you think you know everything anyway. You go to school a little bit, think you know everything. <laughs> so I can critique, yeah. I can critique preaching. When I, but one thing I do know, what yes. you're talking about, that was church. That was, yes. you know, and I, I grew up in that Bethel AME church in Georgetown, South Carolina. And to this day, if I go home, mm -hmm. we can be singing the same songs that we sang when I was a kid. But yes. it did something to me. There's a comfort. It does something. Yes. Yes. In your physical man, yes. your being. There's it, a yes, peace. It is healing. Right. Mm -hmm. So that that's what the look mm -hmm. on my face was. You know, when, when you said that, it was me connecting the dots to what I was thinking about earlier. Yeah. 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 And sometimes you just got to go home. You do. You do. I'm looking for this book right now because um, it's a part of what what I'm going to study. Uh, this guy, Resma. My grandmother's my, hands. My grandmother. I yeah, thank you, love thank you. that yes. book. And 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 he he his whole philosophy of uh, of um oh oh goodness oh why am I not it's not coming to right right now Ugh. but it has to do with the vibrations it has to do with oh somatic yeah somatic yeah. reparations yeah. Yeah. yes yeah. somatic reparations of, of 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 even just healing our nervous system yes because uh, as black people the damage that has been done in our dna yes yeah yes yes, yes. i love that's, that book as i go further with study if god, if and when god calls me that's the road i'm going on yeah. well I, I i got a sense you're gonna be back in there studying i got a i got a feeling god's gonna call you there's so much first, first of all first. <laughs> there's so much wisdom uh we, we're here I know we jumped right in from the very beginning. We sure did. I thought we were going to warm up to this. Well, we, we, you know, the, the, they heard the, the intro. The intro said who you were. But we're here with September Penn. And this is my friend. Um, I have great respect for September. Her, not, not just her giftedness, her wisdom. 
her wisdom. Mm-hmm. And um, we just dove right in. We just dove right in. <laughs> we sure did. <laughs> how has the how has the church shaped you, your family, and and even even if you want to go even further, gospel music? Because I want to transition to gospel music. But how has it shaped yeah. you and your family? Oh, my earliest memories um, from, you know, three years old, four years old, my very earliest memories are a Friday night uh, family rehearsals. We had a family singing group called the Ramsey Singers. I mean, they're still singing. My mom and dad, they, they do. They, they still sing. Uh, and my grandfather was named after, you know, my grandfather, uh, Royal Kermit Ramsey. He's, he's passed on, but they held on the name, the Ramsey Singers. But we had a family singing group and um, we were always going out to Saturday Night Sings. Do you know what they are? Are you familiar I, with Saturday I've, Night I've Sings? I've heard it. I've heard of, heard of it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we participated in Saturday Night Sings. We would go to North Carolina, various parts of, of Virginia, couple times even into West Virginia this this is you know the the, the southern um southwest region uh southeast region of United States and um you've got a uh, caravan singing you've got quartet singing you've got choir singing there's all different types of gospel expression you know in the black culture so that you would get all of that in the Saturday night sing. Uh, I mean, all of it was up in there. I mean, a choir would get up there and then you'd have uh, family groups like us. Then you'd have quartet singers. Some were all men, some were all women. It was just really, really cool. Very interesting training. Uh, Saturday night sings and then Sunday afternoon, of course you got Sunday morning service where you're in the youth choir, the church choir. But for us, that was not it. It was always, even after that, we had a Sunday afternoon service. And then sometimes it was a Sunday evening service. So you're hitting three services on a Sunday. So my mom was always, you know, she would make um, the biggest breakfasts, but then she'd also fry extra chicken and carry it with her. Because while we on the road, we're going to get hungry. Yep. And my dad, you know, he's not going to stop all the time to, to, to pay. But we just became very familiar with eating on the run in between church services. Um, I grew up Baptist. Um, we also fellowshiped a lot with Pentecostal churches. So I'm very um, familiar with you know, people operating in the gifts of the spirit. Um, I'm familiar with, uh, it's interesting. I mean, the black church is beautiful. The black church is funny. I remember some of my best and funniest times were sitting with my sister, you know, Jones and sitting up in church Jones and on, on just different things. You know, it's, I think even that's a part of our, of our culture, getting the giggles and uh, la- laughing and, and stuff in church. But there's a richness that gets inside of you of, um, of the beauty of harmonies, of the beauty of, of, of lifting your voice with someone else uh, and creating that, that frequency creating that chemistry in a room of of, of people and uh, the whole the the beats i'm so familiar with hearing you know the drum and hearing the the footstep mm, mm, i'm just it, it being so so in me and um it's it, it, it it's it, it it was a it was a um it was a tiring experience sometimes because I would often have to do my homework in church. <laughs> I was often, you know, you have uh, food bags and you have your backpacks. You're carrying your schoolwork because we spent so much time in church. You got to find some moment to pull to the side and get your, your math homework done. But it was, it, it, 
I wouldn't have it any other way. There were so many interesting lessons that I've learned just being in the pew, just going to different places, whether it's with my family or whether it's with other you know, church choirs as I got older. Um, but it's, it is, um, if, you, if you visit, I've, I've got you know, some Caucasian friends who, who may visit or, or you know, come to the black church. I mean, it's a totally different experience. It is, it is a beauty and it, 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 is, it is something that, that they don't feel in their bodies at their churches. It's, just, yeah. it's, a, it's a full embodied experience and it's necessary. We need it so that we can have what we need, the fuel, the hope, so that when we do leave those, that church building, we have what we need to carry us on that Monday, that job, Monday through Friday, or, or dealing with family or you know, whatever, that all of it we would get in the black church. And, and I'm, so that's talking about as far as the spiritual or the, or the quote unquote you know, religious side of it, but the black church was also the organizing entity yep. in, 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 in the community. Um, all of the, those great leaders of the civil rights movement came out of the black church. They were pastors. Um, these folks were the ones who were, who were bringing the group together, bring, bringing the community together, introducing folks, connecting people, um, making the arrangements for, for the protests, setting down the strategy and telling the community, this is what we need to do. All of that stuff was started right there in the black church. Yeah. Yeah. As you were think, as you were talking, got me to thinking about something I'm trying to unpack for, for my work, for my research. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been studying the theology of play. Yes. And play at its, at its essence, when you think about little kids, there's no purpose beyond play itself. It's autotelic. It's just the idea that we're playing and, and what comes out of that is joy. Yes. And so when yeah. I think about, I was thinking about when I grew up and I would see people, what we would say, and I'm sure you're familiar, she caught the Holy Ghost. <laughs> right? Yes, sir. <laughs> when I was young, yes. I didn't want to catch the Holy Ghost because of what I saw. <laughs> I was like, I don't want the Holy Ghost. It's going to make me do that. I got a funny story. I won't share it here. I got a funny story with a lady in our church. So you have to share. Are you going to share it another time or what? I'll share it off. 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 Oh, I'll share it off uh, after we do this. Well, well, let me ask you. Did you ever? Okay. Um, did you have the experience of quote unquote catching the Holy Ghost yeah. in church? Not, not, yes. not when yes. I was young, but as yes. I've gotten older, um, yes. not, not in that way. Yeah, I, I caught the Holy Ghost a different way. Okay. Okay. Um, but I've, I know that I know the feeling. Yes. And so what I began to unpack and I'm just thinking this through. So I haven't fully thought this thought it all the way through, but it's all good. it is play. It is. And, play. and God desires that we play with God. Yeah. That we enjoy yeah. God. Uh -huh. That the things that we do are not just things that we do and it becomes work and serious right. and intense and stressful. It's supposed yes. to church. It's supposed to be play. Yeah, it's like he's participating in it with us. And I, so I was I was 14 years old the first time I quote unquote caught the Holy Ghost. <laughs> <laughs> I was um, I was leading a song. Uh, what is the name of that song? 
it's not going to come to me now. But I wasn't even the, the regular, I was not the person who normally led that song. Um, it was a, a older, older girl in the choir. I think she was about 17 years old and she couldn't travel with us. We, um, our, our church choir was visiting another church. And so they, they asked me, September, can you lead the song? So I started singing the song and I was doing the best I could. But then I, it came to a certain point I, it just felt good. And it was like, yeah, yeah, Lord, I really mean this. And then all of a sudden it fell. It's like, okay, yeah, lo the Lord was like, yeah, I know you mean this. I, <laughs> and I mean it too, September. And, I, and it just hit me. And my daddy stood up in the corner and was like, okay, she's got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will never forget. I was like, oh God, I'm really singing this song better than I've ever sang it before. <laughs> And it really, it felt like it was me, but it wasn't really me. Yeah. It was like the Holy Spirit was doing the infilling and giving me the extra capacity in my lungs that I did not have, just my 14-year-old September self. Yeah. It was like, whoa, that that was, and then folks were like, you didn't know you could sing like that. I was like, well, I didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> the Lord helped me. <laughs> yeah, and so the role yeah. of the Holy Spirit to help us play yes. with God. When, when, when we become yeah. like little children, Jesus yes. says, you can't enter the kingdom, I'm paraphrasing a bit, unless you come like little Indeed. children. Yes. The Holy Spirit animates us. The Holy Spirit totally animates us, our beings, our limbs, our lungs, whatever we offer up, our tongues, uh, it, whatever's offered up, it, it, he can play with. He can animate. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and a couple of things. One, you, you talked about we needing, us needing this this black church experience because when we go back to church on monday we have these experiences where we feel those things in our bodies yes we do and so when yeah. we come around to whenever days of the week that people go to church um, and mm -hmm. in sunday we experience it in our bodies yes yeah which then says why many people in the white community they cannot experience that or at least they don't know what it is when they do because European culture is cerebral. Exactly. Rational. Yes. Right? Yes. I, and I, I hate the terms. I hate the term, you know, high church and low church. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah. But, yeah. but it's a reality. It's a reality in our culture. So, but in those who are, you know, say participating in quote unquote high church, they follow a certain liturgy that is very cerebral. It's very academic. It's very, you know, um, according to a certain order. And I'm not saying that we're supposed to be out of order because certainly the Holy Spirit does all things in decency and in order, yeah, yeah. but there is a place and I believe God provides a space for us to play, to, uh, for the Holy Spirit to participate with us. Yeah, to, to be available and not so rigid as to how we program it and how we plan it, that the Holy Spirit has no place to enter. Which then brings into question the idea of power dynamics in worship yes. because yeah. when you're in the positions of power or you're a part of the group of power, you can, you, you, by nature, you tend to control everything. Yes. But when you come from a position of a place or a community where improvisation <laughs> is natural to you, that space exactly. is there. And so God can, yes. can enter yes. and play with us in that space. So now we're talking about but, power but dynamics. The way you are articulating that, that is, um, I had to learn that phrasing. I had to learn, especially when I started working in, you know, more white spaces, or even when I came to Fuller Chapel um, and, and working with team members who have their own, you know, their own histories, their own uh, denominational experiences that they're bringing to the table. 
I had to learn to be able to articulate um, because because there's a lot of great planning. I, I love yep, planning. Yep. I like I like having things in place, but I had to learn to don't be afraid to say, let's leave some room for the Holy Ghost. Let's plan this, but let's, you know, let's not over plan it. Don't plan it so much that it's so rigid and we want it to be perfect. I would rather something be planned and be excellent, but there'll be room for the Holy Spirit to do whatever, how, however God wanted to surprise us in that service. Because whenever the Holy Spirit comes in and does something a little different, those who, who have the ears to hear and they are tuned in, we know when it's happening. We give each other a look. Okay, God, <laughs> doing this. All right, okay. Well, go, all right, God, go ahead. Yeah. Hi, you want to do this? Yeah. But, yeah. but I think we have to be, uh, when you speak of you know, power, I think we have to be able to articulate that, that, um, that it's, it's a part of us. It's, it's a part of co-leading and it's a part of mentoring and training other people from other experiences. Yeah. Yeah. You have the opportunity right now, if you have the opportunity for those who are listening, who are not familiar with gospel music, maybe underappreciate gospel music, what would you want to teach them? One, two, three things you'd want to teach them or share with them to help them understand gospel music. As a worship pastor yourself, how would you how would you teach us about gospel music? Oh, that's such a loaded question, but um, there's a few names I'm going to share. But before that, it is it it is it is the soul. It is gospel music is the cry. It's the sound of the soul singing out. Um, and 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 I mean gospel. There are flavors and hints of gospel in all of these genres. When you hear some of the very very best R and B they got flavors and slices of gospel in there. If it hits you a certain way, nine times out of 10, the per person who created that came from the black church and they already know how to tap into the essence of their soul speaking and, and singing out. So they translate that into R&B. So they become the most popular R&B um, singers. I mean, when you, I mean, and this, this histor historically, um, you know, Jodeci, Jodeci came out of the apostolic church. Come yes, on. yes. Come on, Pentecostal to the bone. Okay. I remember when they first, I was in, I might have been a sophomore in college somewhere okay. when Jodeci came out. I was like, these brothers. Yeah. They, no, no. I, I know people who used to play with them in the churches. They, there is an experience that they bring with them. Yeah. They've already learned how to tap into, you know, uh, the essence, the very, the, 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 the deep places of the soul and to articulate it in music. Um, let's see, if they have no experience at all with gospel music, I'm gonna say some tried and true names. Um, these are some of my favorites. Uh, Richard Smallwood. Mm, yeah. These are, you know, these are fathers in the gospel. Um, and, and, and what they bring with them, especially with, with, with Richard, Richard Smallwood, he also, you know, he's classically trained. I mean, the, he is brilliant with all of his arrangements. You get full black church sound. You also, you can, you can hear a little bit of Bach in, in the work that he does. Um, it, gospel music has a full array of what it offers. Ricky Dillard, the choir master himself. Ricky Dillard, new generation. Um, I would suggest, uh, actually he recently did um, a YouTube special. Um, 
let's see, I can't remember the name of it, but it, but it came out 2019, 2020. You can Google that. You can check that. Find him in full voice with his choir. Ricky Dillard, the sound that he gets from his tenor section. I mean, there's a certain vibrato mm -hmm. that a full black gospel choir produces and Ricky Dillard has probably you know, completely perfected that sound. Um, Ricky Dillard. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, even with choir directing and gospel music, choir directing is different than choral music. It's different than what you're going to get when you go to the white church and, you know, at the, the, the choir director in the white church. In gospel music, because, um, you know, Black people are coming with, the, the, we, we do, we come with a bit of flair. We come with a bit of, because we have gotten over. So when, when that choir director comes and stands before um, his people, her people, they are, they are not only just standing in the fullness of who God made them, they are also empowering the people in front of them. So they always bring a little extra flair. Yeah. There's a little extra sauce to it with, with gospel music. And it's, and it's necessary. Yeah. That's a part of Black people and Black people's own you know, creative identity. That's a part of who we are. Yeah, when you talk about full embodiment, there you go. A, 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 a choir director in all of their glory with soprano, alto, tenor, and bass with them uh, creating you know, this sound that is so rich unto God. I mean, that, that's uh, power of black gospel music. Um, even, you know, I can't, leave, I can't leave our white brothers and sisters out of this. If you look at Katy Perry, Katy Perry grew up not in the black church, but she grew up Pentecostal. So they had affiliations with, you know, black gospel music. Okay. They, even then when they bring their sound, I mean, Elvis Presley grew up Pentecostal and he, he was imitating black gospel music all the time. Yeah. We have black gospel music has influenced everyone, all genres. Yeah. It's, it's interesting you say that because I was going to ask if you felt like gospel music either had or has the potential to impact the broader culture, the way blues, rock and roll, R&B, and hip hop has. Many people don't know, um, especially with rock and roll, um, its its roots are in the black community. So every, every um, genre that you just named, all of that, all of that came out of black gospel music. Um, when you look at blues, rock and roll, R&B, hip, all of that came out of Black gospel music, the Black gospel music experience. That's why when you, when you listen to, to these genres now, you can hear, you can still hear hints of gospel music rising up in them. Wow. So, so in actuality, the world has been experiencing Black church gospel mm -hmm. music this whole time. Yeah, they, they, they have, they benefit um, all of these creative genres, all, all of this, these forms of art have benefited from gospel music. They haven't given it the credit, but they've benefited from it. Yeah. But that's so much like um, with black culture in general, they take you know what the black people are doing, what they're creating, they will take the style, they'll glean from it, but they will never turn around and give it its proper credit. Yep, yep, yep. Last question. I want to respect your time. Um, where do you, I, although I've been, I've been enjoying this. We could go for quite a while with this. I've been enjoying this. I'm learning. I'm being inspired. You got me thinking. Um, where do you see gospel music headed 
Is there is there is there a new is there something new or different? Or I should say this: Is there a, a, a new way that gospel music and even more broadly the black church mm-hmm. can impact the broader American church, especially in the era of the mega church, the concert yeah. style, the lights, camera, action, the big production um, that we oftentimes um, mistake for. God must be moving because it's big mm-hmm. and it's flashy. But aside from that, in what ways do you see gospel music or the black church more broadly impacting the American church? Or what ways would you want to see it um, impact? Well, I, I, I think, I think, um, I don't want to, I don't want to um, highlight, you know, uh, just production quality itself, but I think uh, gospel music is getting more center stage when you look at Sunday Best, you know, Sunday's Best, and that's, that's very popular. People, people are watching it, not just black people, white people all, all around America are watching it. Um, so they are hearing, they're hearing these songs, they're hearing black gospel songs. Um, they're coming right into their homes. Um, even on Netflix, they recently released um, the series Voices of Fire, yep. um, which is out of Hampton, Virginia, uh, Portsmouth, Virginia area. Um, that's, you know, that's my home people. So <laughs> Virginia got- has a nice, I'll have to say Virginia has a nice sound for gospel music. Really? That's, I was not surprised that they did it there. Yeah. One thing, um, the Hamptons um, Ministers Conference has been taking place there for years and years and years. There's also a gospel choir conference that takes place there. But anyway, um, the fact that they, you know, there's a Netflix series highlighting gospel music um, and just gospel music, it cannot be contained just in the church. It can't be contained in the black church. It, it has been coming on the scene. It's been coming into prime time. Um, it sneaks into the theaters, you know, with the work that I do, I always have gospel music in it. So I'll, I will do theater productions, but they will not be dubbed as Christian because um, they'll be more so dubbed maybe social justice or, you know, some humanitarian effort, you know, but it'll get the people in the seats, but you still give them the gospel music once they're there because gospel music seeps into your pores. It seeps into your very being. Yeah. So um, I, I think, I, I think gospel music, however God wants to use it, it is finding its way. Black gospel music is in Japan. Um, when Sister Act 2 came out, the the Asian culture went crazy. There are there are gospel choirs all over Japan. I've been to Japan twice because they love black gospel music. So many of them, I mean, they, these are still, uh, they're not Christians. The, the ratio is, it's minuscule, so yeah. small. Yeah. But the Holy Spirit is finding its way through gospel music. So you'll have a choir of say 50 people maybe three of them in the choir are bona fide Christians, three people, but they're all singing the same song. I'm hearing testimony that people are like, after the choir rehearsals, they're slipping and talking to these three people. Well, why do you love this Jesus so much? I do like this music, but can you tell me about this Jesus? Yeah, they're yeah. singing the song because the black gospel music resonates with their being. Yes. They don't know why, yes. but then see, God, God's got one or two soldiers there. Let me tell you why it's really resonating with your being. Yeah. No, gospel music is finding its way. God is still using gospel music mightily, whether people give it the credit or not. 
Wow. Hollywood knew they did not know what they were doing when they put out Sister Act Two. They did not know, know how Whoopi Goldberg and her singing nuns was going to set these folks on fire. And <laughs> <in Asia. laughs> well, it was interesting because I was in Poland um, maybe ten years ago, and there was mm-hmm. a there's a gospel choir there, which when I listened to them, that's the closest I've heard to a non-black gospel choir that brought it. I mean, okay. the da- they were moving. Mm-hmm. They, they had come to the States and they had studied and they had been to these black churches and they went. Yes. And I was like, wow, they are doing it. Isn't it amazing? It, you know, it sounds God like. God is using gospel music. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like as I listen to you and I think about the church. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm very critical of the church, the American church today. And you, t- you said some things, you talked about the unanswered question. I, I really want to just sit on that. Mm-hmm. And this daily uncertainty. And then I think about the power dynamics that are present in, say, a white context versus a black context. And being accustomed to having power and control. And then in a black context, we're accustomed to coming from the margins and having to resist and, and, and having that activist spirit about us because we, we don't have the power, the control. And we leave that okay. space for God to move so that we can play with God. And I believe that that's where the black church should and I hope will have its impact on the broader American church, not just as an entertainment mm. that we bring you in in a token context, but in a deep yeah. uprooting of some principalities yes. that are there, that yeah. are present, um, and, and bringing, helping the church to be uncomfortable with the uncertainty so that they can play with God. Yes. Rather than try to control and master God from the cerebral, from the, from the intellect, from the, from the rational um, way of, of seeing God, but that they would get those that frequency and those vibrations you talked about earlier, um, that somatic knowledge of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think those mm-hmm. are the things that are, that are missing that the black church can bring um, to the to the American church. Um, that we come out of from from out of our communities. Yeah, and we're not just there, but front and center. You need us. Not that 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 the way white church is done is wrong it's not a right or wrong thing but it's missing this piece it's missing yeah and the piece yeah. shouldn't be on the margins or it shouldn't be tokenized it shouldn't be for entertainment or the cool factor to bring in from time to it's time not. no it is it should be the heartbeat yeah, i would say it should be. i would say it is some people will disagree with this you might need to let this be the music that is sung in your churches, like hand over your worship to people. You, who- what, well, what you're saying is you're not the first to say that. And I totally agree with you. I mean, I've been in conversations with, you know, with people of color where, you know, all of us work in, uh, in, in majority white spaces or, you know, multicultural spaces. And what you're saying, it was actually said to me because my, my, my complaint was wanting to be able to participate in actually creating the liturgy and actually helping to plan and not just be the, the soulful sounding voice on your Christian folk song. Mm-hmm. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and this person said what you said. He said, no, September, you should be the one who's planning all the music, teaching the songs, doing the liturgy, because that's what's needed in this particular space. And I, I think, I think both of you, I think you're right. If we're going to really try to do a real change and some real healing and some real opportunity for the invitation of a holy God to come and play with us. Someone else needs to help with um, opening that door. And it can't be that cerebral. It can't be someone who is so, you know, powered, you know, heady control, controlled over every minute. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I think you're the one to, to lead in that. I think you're one of the voices, one of the people that should be leading in that should should have that opportunity and then show others this is what it could look like i believe you have the not only the giftedness the depth of spirituality the wisdom the theology um and the maturity and the pain <laughs> yeah i think you have all, all of right. that to be able to do that well and excellent and then show others this is what it would look like when you allow I, black church, I, black music, gospel music yeah. to be central, like your yes. starting point Yes. to your liturgy. No, I hear exactly what you're saying. I can receive that. Um, you know, I'm on the ordination track and I think some of what we are talking about is uh, the direction that God is taking me. In, 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 that, in that particular vein, yeah. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. You, you gave me so much to think about in, in my own research Yeah. from this conversation. And I, I appreciate you. I thank you for your time. I hope this was more energizing for you than, than anything. Because like, I know you're busy and you're, you're going. <laughs> but I, I hope that the conversation itself would be more energizing for you. And um, I look forward to seeing what God is going to do in and through you. Before you go, tell, tell you have an event coming up on, on Tuesday. I do. Thank you so much for, for opening, you know, providing an opportunity for me to share that. It is a virtual presentation of our production, Sounds of the Civil Rights Movement, The Power of Song. I've been doing this production since 2014. And when we take it to the stage, when we do it in Florida, we have between 150 to 200 people because um, we have two choirs. We work with like five or six organizations. It's, it's, it's really, um, it's theater, it's, it's mentoring, it's um, discipleship. We've seen people come to Christ in the production. Um, but yes, this virtual presentation is a compilation of videos that have been recently recorded during the pandemic, as well as video clips from our live stage show. And we have trimmed it down to 45 minutes. We had to cut a lot of scenes, but we just wanted to give you guys a taste, uh, something to help you to celebrate Black history, help you to get going with your celebration for Black History Month. Yeah, and, and to also encourage people to be to participate in their communities, you know, lean into what God is calling you to do. Don't shrink back. We know we all don't know exactly how it's supposed to be done. But if we show up and we say that we're available, God will certainly lead us. Amen. 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 Well, thank mm -hmm. you so much for your time once again. And um, I look forward to seeing what God is is going to do through you 
your husband, your family, mm-hmm. your, your God company. Bless you. All right. God bless you, man. Thank you. Bless you, Thank my you. friend. Good to be with you. Mm-hmm. Don't forget to check out September's virtual presentation of Sounds of the Civil Rights Movement, The Power of Song. The video will premiere at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Tuesday, February 2nd. That's just one day away from the release of this podcast. The link is in the show notes on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to pre-order my book, Open Wounds, on Amazon right now. The book will be released on February 9th. Engage the conversation of racial trauma and resiliency that leads to redemption and hope. I invite you all to engage black history, or should I say U.S. history from a black perspective, not just this month, but any time of the year. Once again, thank you so much for listening and parking with me at the intersection.